everybody, thanks for joining the Real Guy Podcast today. It's all about happy bait. I got three-time happy bait world champion Tim O'Connor in the house today, and we're talking about strategies for happy bait, how he uses his boat, uh, gear, everything you can expect. It's almost happy bait time. We're waiting for it. It should be here any day now. I hope you enjoy the podcast with three-time happy bait world champ Tim O'Connor. Clear the airways. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is the Real Guy Podcast. Captain Jeff, how are you? It's humbling to be with you. I'm in the shadow <laughs> of greatness. That's what I like to hear. Now listen, are you doing anything special for this year's mullet run? Other than hoping and praying that there's a mullet run? Other than hoping and praying, because I think that's what a lot of people doing are doing is hoping and praying. I know after last year, it's hard to... Uh, get worked up about the mullet run considering we didn't have much but i just want to know if there was anything special that that you normally do before the mullet run uh hit the treadmill just uh try to get my triathlete body up to shape get ready to chase these schools at two knots down the beach and uh that's about it i'm, I'm ready to i'm ready to find them i'm ready to get into them and all these uh, YouTube posers can just take a back seat for a little while and let guys like you make it happen. Like like me. Dude, you're the three-time Happy Bay World Champ. So, you know, it's nice to know that uh, there's not much else you can do except for get in shape a little bit. Now, why do you pick the treadmill? Because that's the only way I can just get the legs and everything. There, it, as you know, it kind of takes a toll on you. You got to be able to chase those baits down the beach sometimes. So anything you can, shape. anything that you can do to get ready for your uh, your uh, mullet run chafe. The, the chafe, yeah. I mean, you got to load up on some lubricant for sure. I mean, I I feel like you know Burgess Meredith is yelling at me, "Chase the chicken, rock, chase the chicken." <laughs> That's Dude, how my I heard, son and I get ready. I heard Andy Mill um, pulled his hand the other day chasing the chicken. <laughs> it's true i think it's something, something i don't know i don't know if it was a dare or something but i don't know these guys were chasing chickens and andy decided he thought he'd chase one and he pulled his ham i i, I suspect he was slaloming down a, a <laughs> slope somewhere when he did it no but seriously like i would i would i would seriously suggest people to take long walks on the beaches Kind of wait for the mullet to get here and get your mullet run shafe over with before the actual mullet run. Because when we're out there fishing the mullet run, you'll see, you know, eight, nine guys down at the beach. And you see the guys that have, you know, prepared and are ready for their mullet run shafe. If you guys don't know what mullet run shafe is, um, Timmy, do you want well, to help me there? Yeah, basically anyone who's ever ridden a bike or a motorcycle and fallen off. That kind of road rash, that's what the chafe is. But it, uh, the chafe tends to last longer. Yeah, and so, it's right in your groin area. Well, and, and don't forget, in, your, you know, in the uh, nipple region, there can be a little chafe, too, if you're not careful. Yeah, and, guys, and guys that are backpacking down there, and I think backpacking is, is, is you know, I think it's, it's a pretty decent strategy when you're down there, you know, running up and down the beach looking for mullet. And traveling around, you know, it's quick, it's mobile and everything. But you will get a shave that those straps will get wet and then get up on your neck and your arm and stuff. And um, 
you guys are into surfing or whatever, water skiing, that kind of stuff, you often get shaved up. The mullet run shave is no different. But the problem with the mullet run shave is you got to perform while you have your shave. You absolutely do, and and you need to be you need to be ready, and you need to be able to adapt. So you need to just power through. There's been times when when I've had to just power through the chafe, and <laughs> that's it. You, you know, the adrenaline kicks in. You're paying for it later, but that's okay. It is okay. It's okay. It's worth the effort. It's worth the effort. Now, Timmy, when's uh, when's the earliest you've seen the mullet run get Gordon? Well, you and I were just discussing that, right? Uh, sometimes in early September, I mean, I'm going back to remember 2004 and 2005 when we had those storms back to back to back, right? Those right. hurricanes seemed to, um, you know, kind of shake things up a little bit. It seemed to me that those years we had some big pods come through early in the wake of those storms and in between those storms, right? Yeah. Um, but we really haven't had too many tropical systems to wake them up, I don't think. Right. And, um, so we're just waiting for them. Yeah. yeah. I think those tropical systems come through. And I think that groundswell gets up into that Jacksonville area all the way down to, say, Titusville, you know, right around the horn there. Yep. And then the bait just comes flying through. Yep. And but I think they're no, all penned up and ready to go, too, right? They're, they're, they're busting at the seams right around New Smyrna and kind of up that way. And then they're just looking to bust out. Right. And, and, then they, and then they just seem, you know, we've seen this the last couple of years, right, that, you know, you, uh, you see them kind of get bunched up in Hutchinson Island up there for a while and don't seem to break loose and right. get down this way. Have you noticed that last couple yeah. of years? Yeah. Last few years. But I tell you what, I get so many reports of people that see them up North every year ahead of time. And you just think they're going to be here sooner than they normally get here. Right. And then I also wonder like how legitimate are the reports that I'm getting because one of the things that we've noticed here over the years is um, it's really important who you're getting your mullet run report from. Critical. Critical. Yeah. You weed, had to do, what do you, you got to do? You got to weed through your information, Timmy? I do. I do. I mean, I, I got to weed through the people that can't tell an anchovy from, uh, you know, pterodactyl. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, oh, I'll hear about pods. Oh, these pods are coming through. They're early. Well, yeah, it's late July. Those are anchovies. Right. You know, so you got to take it with a grain of salt. You're absolutely right. You you have to get reliable coast watcher information. Absolutely. How many how many dudes are in your like your critical network as far as mullet run reports? Besides uh, Jeff, me, Jeff, I'm not willing to disclose that. I'm sorry. There's just some things I have to keep close to the vest. I'm not telling you. You don't have to name any names or nothing. But how many guys, like real guys, that you got? Uh, guys that you text, not not internet nerds. Probably 12 or so, maybe 13. Really? Yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty massive. Yeah. And well, you, you think those are the 13 dudes that can give you a legitimate report. Right. And they're sprinkled all up and down the coast. It's, it's kind of like in World War II where the coast watchers were calling in Japanese air raids headed for Guadalcanal. You know, you got to, uh, they just one at a time, just let you know when they're getting close. <laughs> Dude, I got like three dudes, and one of them's you. Boy, you, you you need to surround yourself with better friends. I think you got to work on my network a little bit. Yeah, you do. Five thousand friends on Facebook. I got like three dudes I can text about the mullet run. Yeah, but you're doing okay. 
two more than most. You know, you're, you, why, why rely on reports when you got your spider senses? You only, need, your, you only need the guy in the mirror, Jeff. I know it's not easy to look at that guy, but he's the only one you need right now. <laughs> so for somebody that's never seen the mullet run before, how would you explain it to somebody like somebody you just met from like Kansas or something? Two words, National Geographic. Right. It, it is, if that doesn't get your heart rate going, you're not alive. Uh, as I've told many people and you and I have discussed it and, I will I will put that tarpon fishery against Boca Grande, against Homosassa, against Key West. I'll put that against anywhere as far as just true excitement and awe-inspiring stuff. Right. Um, it, it, it is a spectacle. And uh, from a very early age, it has just captured my imagination. And it is by far my most favorite uh, fishery to approach. Right. By far. Right. And I, do you think the, like, the anticipation of it coming every year adds to it? It compounds it. It doesn't add to it. It, it compounds it at an arithmetic rate. I mean, it is just, I can't wait. Every right. day. Every day. It's just great. And unfortunately, with the last couple of years, it, you know, it, it lets you down. I mean, it's the, uh, it, it's the mullet run postpartum depression. It's worse than giving birth. <laughs> when it peters out that's right? a good way to no it's a great way to put it their depression that uh right around halloween right when the boat right. show starts it's over and i hate seeing the pilings going in i know you do too for the boat show and it just means that uh, we're running out of time and, right uh, it's great so i've got a question for you what how great is it to introduce clients to the mullet run when they're just uh, watching it. I, I, is there anything like it? It's a, Well, it's a double-edged sword. That's the only problem with it. You know what I mean? Like you introduce a client to the mullet run and he gets a, you know, a good weekend. And then that client will want to book, you know, the same week every year or whatever. And you're just praying to God that, you know, right. Because, because it's so sporadic. I mean, one day it's just phenomenal. And the very next day, you can't find a fish out there. And you're just like, whoa, what happened, you know? Right. So, right. but when you do put a client out there and he sees it for the first time and he's trying to take it all in and then he's trying to explain it to his friends or his wife or his buddies or whatever the heck, it's pretty cool. And it, um, it never gets old. It doesn't get old. It's a lot like, you know, when my kids were real little, took them to Disney for the first time and they saw the fireworks display. And the look on their face was just complete awe right yeah that's that look and that look is great and i can't get enough of showing people what it's like and you know because i'm always getting questions you know you're the same way you you know people hang that uh muller run badge on you right right you know, what's muller and what's the muller and what's the big deal and you just have to experience it and i feel bad for people who haven't right and 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 then you talk to them and then you one, make two mistakes. You refer to the mullet run like they know what you're really talking about. Because right. nobody gets it until they actually get that, you know, real day in where, you know, it all registers after that. But you can't explain it. No. And even at this, even at this time with, with so much content out there, right, and, and some exceptional drone footage of, uh, of the mullet run, right, by people we know, including Captain Mike and other folks, you know, 
that gets a lot of it across, but it's still not the same. I mean, you, I mean, okay, here's the get off our lawn moment, right? You know, way back when, you know, that the mullet run was kind of just something you whispered, right? You just, oh, yeah, the, the run was good yesterday or was that way. And people did, couldn't even fathom what you were talking about until you brought them out and you got into it. Right. You know, and that, now there's so much drone footage and so much video out there that, you know, people can see, wow, you know, it's that way. There's all these fish, and it almost, to your point, almost provides the misconception that it's like that all day, every day for months. Right. Right? Right. And uh, it's just not that way. It's here one day and gone the next, and, man, you got to jump all over it. And, you know, my wife, she's known around town as a mullet run widow, and she knows that if it's going off, uh, so am I. Right. And uh, see you in a couple days, and. You know, she'll know, she'll know when she sees me, you know, asleep in the morning in bed, she'll know that, uh, the winds must've picked up, must be three to four on the beach. Right. Right. You know? And I, and I think people don't get that too. I think, I don't think people get the amount of work that it takes in order to get your, I don't know, like, I mean, you're really good at it. You know, the timing, you know, the places to check and everything with all the knowledge and all the experience that you have, even so, if you can get 10 good days in. In that six weeks, that's phenomenal work. I would say 10 10 good sessions, not even 10 good days. That could be five good days, morning and evening, right? right? And uh, and, and you leave the beach exhausted and just spent, and it was great. And, uh, you know, my son is 12, and he is fired up this year to really get into it. And yeah, he's he's starting to understand the rhythm of it all, huh? He, he is. He's doing he's doing great with it, and he's he's really really excited. He set a goal for the number of fish that he wants to get and uh, the size fish that he wants to catch, and mm-hmm. um, he's he's really really looking forward to it. He's got a couple of buddies that are, uh, you know, kind of you know they're in seventh grade. They're kind of reaching that point. That's sort of when I started to have my eyes opened as well. So it's good to see, and. Uh, Again, it's I can't say enough good things about it, but I, I can't I can't say enough bad things about it when it's over. Right, it's just, it's just one yeah, of those. It's a major things. letdown. It's a major yeah. letdown. That cold front comes through, the boats come in for the boat show. November comes, people are starting to hustle around for Thanksgiving and stuff, and you know it sets in. It's all right. over till next year. Right, uh, eleven more agonizing months. Ah. Uh. <laughs> you're kill you're killing me already. All I, right, don't uh, want to harsh your tude. Don't want to harsh your tude. Hang on. Uh, but I'm I'm changing it up a little bit for this year's mullet run. What are you doing? What are you doing? I'm doing more fly. Awesome. I'm just I'm gonna I'm sticking with the fly thing. I went with the fly thing all summer. I had such a good time doing it. And unless I'm fishing with a client, my first go to for the whole mullet run is going to be fly. Fly so first, that, everything else second. Does that mean we're getting Andy Mill down here to uh, to hang with us I, for that? I will invite Andy for a day of fly fishing the um, the mullet run. I got a feeling he'll take us up on that. Also, he was planning on coming in to do a podcast, um, and he actually mentioned the mullet run then. So Great. I think I think I'll get Andy and Nikki, and um, and anytime I get a chance to fish it, um, you know, for myself. I'm going to go big on fly. I did. I went big on fly about 15 years ago with my fly fishing nut cousin from Massachusetts. 
and okay. um, we caught a lot of fish. So and so it was, and it was fun. So help us out here. What what's what's tackle going to look like, and what size and type fly is it going to take to stand out in the middle of a gazillion baits? So how's well, that going to flourish? Well, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have two two fly rods. That I'm gonna bring every time. I'm bring the ten weight, and then I'm gonna bring the big boy, my tarpon rod. Um, which is how the, Which is how big? What's that? A twelve weight? A twelve weight? Is that enough? That's what I got. So that's what I'm bringing. Okay. But I got that I got that G Loomis with that Abel, that big fancy tarpon rod that you know I hardly ever use. We're going to bring that. And the ten weight later on in the run when the when there's a whole bunch of those big lady fish and some smaller tarpon or whatever. And the finger uh, are around, yeah. Yeah, maybe I'll do the, the nine weight like we normally do in the in the in the lights and that kind of thing. But I'm really interested in getting um forty to seventy pound fish on that twelve weight. Oh and yeah. The fly, and the flies that I'm rolling with are actually striper flies. And they got a big-ass bunny head on them, like a mullet. What you color know, big, will they be? Big furry head. I'm going, with, I'm going with white and gray, white and black, white and blue. And what, what size tippet will you have on the end there? Uh, probably about 50 pound. Does it have to be fluorocarbon? No. I never used it before. But, um, but I'm rolling with that. And the reason I'm rolling with that is because I reckon I'm going to get some big jacks. Yep. Some big bruiser jacks, and I'm not going to mess around with those on a on a nine weight. I'm just going to get those things to the boat and keep the fly in the water for the tarpon. Right. But I was I was I mean I haven't done it in a long time, but I was surprised when we did target them years ago with the fly, mm-hmm. how productive it was. It was pretty productive, and I'll tell you why, is because unlike bait fishing. Um, a lot of times you're waiting for the intersection for the bait and the fish. Right. When you're fly fishing, it's so visual that you can put that fly on, on the fish's nose over and over and over again. You sure can. So because of that, um, I think, you know, we had, we had really good success, but I'm anxious to try it again. And I don't care if I got to go some days, not fishing bait, not catching some fish as long as I can figure out a little bit more rhythm with the fly. So really having more fun fly fishing lately. I got to tell you, Timmy, one thing about this COVID thing is, you know, I've been fishing a lot for myself for a change. And every night I don't bring the fly rod. I'm thinking, geez, I should have brought the fly rod. So now I'm just bringing it every trip. Well, that's good to hear because uh, you were mocking me a little bit for being elitist by wanting to bring the fly rod not too long ago. So it's good that you've turned the corner. Well, you know, I just like picking on you about being the elitist thing because that's just the way you are. With those fancy boats that you like to be on, did you see the did you see the picture of Musso's boat that I took and posted online? I did. It's nice. I did that. I did that just for you. Thank you very little. That was very <laughs> kind. That was very kind of you. Well, you know, try to appeal for everybody. It's nice to know that I'm finishing third place behind Musso. So, <laughs> his boat, then Musso, then me. Got it. Got it. <laughs> so, so I've got another question for you. So. You, you're a lot like me where you like to troll baits as right. opposed to drifting on the edge of the pods, right? Yep. And, and one of my peeves, and you know this, is that 
I cannot stand seeing the knuckleheads and the Googans go right up on the school and completely turn the bite off. Right. But yet we're staying a good bit away, slow trolling the bait, and we're getting shots. And why don't you explain to everybody why that's so effective when you are so tempted to just fire your bait into that oil slick of baits? Yeah. Well, I, th- I think the, the main reason it's, it's effective is, is you can, if you stay on the outside of the school and you aren't using high RPMs, you're not turning the boat a lot, you're not going over the fish over and over again, you can work harmoniously with that school of bait and that school of fish. When you come rolling up in there and, um, you know, come at a high rate of speed, go right into where the fish are eating, stop the boat, start throwing your baits one another, then, I mean, the fish are big, the fish are fast. I mean, they just simply move away from you. Right. And by by keeping a slow troll going, not taking the boat in and out of gear, not pressuring the school of fish that's in front of you, and then also I think it's important to keep your bait most of the time not in the school of mullet. There's a time to throw it right in the school of mullet. But if you can help it, I think you get just as many strikes or more strikes outside the school of mullet only because the fish will decide to eat your bait instead of just decide to eat. Well, and my theory has always been is that the fish are staging outside the school, right? They go charging through, turn on their sides, beat stuff up, and then they kind of regroup about 20, 30 yards outside the school. Right. And then they go darting back in. Right. And uh, I like having a bait, you know, outside the school for them to pick off on their way back in. Right. And I think that that approach, you know, knowing that they're going to stage up on the outside of the schools, I think if you take your time, move in there real slowly. I mean, how many how many hours do you spend just gazing at the bait, trying to get a rhythm on what's going on out there? But if you do that and you and you and you let the bait, the school of bait and the school of fish tell you what they're doing. You can be extremely effective as far as getting your baits in front of them over and over and over again. If you come barging in there without paying attention to what's actually happening in front of you. And I know it's not easy because, I mean, you know, it's a lot going on. Right. But you can tell how many fish, how big the fish are, how fast they're moving, where the, what they're doing. If you simply sit back and take it all in. Well, and, and it'd be nice if the other anglers observed some protocol like they observed down in the Keys for the worm hatch. You know, and they, uh, everybody kind of takes up their station. Everybody, you know, keeps their distance. And everybody would be locked up on fish, right? Instead of just the whole South Florida charging up on a school of dolphin mentality. Yeah, I don't, we're, there's just nothing we're going to be able to do about that, unfortunately. Right. I mean, I like to think more and more people are listening to podcasts, but geez, not that many. And then even if they were, I don't know. I don't think they really get it until it happens to them. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. So I've got to ask you, because I get asked this question, and I get asked this question to ask you by your <laughs> many millions of minions out there. So what do you? what is your preference? What do you have more fun doing, fighting a fish from the beach or fighting a fish from the boat? Oh, no, definitely – you know, if I could, if I could have it, I think it'd be the beach. I, mean, I think it's really neat 
to fight tarpon from the beach. It's unlike, you know, snook or jack or anything like that. I mean, it's there's a skill set that needs to be acquired by, you know, being able to get them from the beach. And then that feeling of, you know, reeling in a 50, 80, 100, 150-pound fish while you're standing on the beach is pretty phenomenal. And because you can't do it all the time, you can't get that feeling all the time. I mean, I much rather fish from the beach, but you know, conditions change on a daily basis. There's some days that the beach is the place to be, and then there's some days when the beach is not the place to be. And you know, you kind of got to analyze the session you're going to get in. The one cool thing about the beach is it's always worth a shot. Correct. You know what I mean? Correct. Yeah, I know. I I I love putting people on the bite from the beach. Right. And there's just nothing like it. It's mano a mano. It's always been my favorite thing to do. Well, like being out on the boat has its advantages and stuff, especially when there's, you know, a lot of bait, but how many times do we get into a nice little tight school of bait, maybe a city block long, but it's not, you know, a mile long. Not a lot of people really know about it. You wouldn't even like really count it as part of the run. If you weren't standing on the beach. Like you wouldn't even be able to experience it from a boat. And there's a lot of that going on. And some of the best fishing are in those smaller pods that you wouldn't consider, you know, epic mullet run, epic mullet run. But on the other hand, the amount of fish that you're able to pull out of those schools, um, the ratios are often much better. Well, and oftentimes they're so far inside the swim buoys that you can't get to them right. from the boat. And I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I'd much rather have a, a smaller, dense school. I think that attracts just as many fish as the half-mile-long oil slick of them. As a matter of fact, I'd say that's uh, too many baits. I think someone, some wise man once, co- once coined that term, overbaited. You might know him. Do <laughs> uh, so you think there's a time when during the mullet run, it's just overbaited out there? And as we were talking about you know, earlier before the podcast is it seems like those early season schools, right? The, the, the first couple weeks of September, when that first school or two comes down, um, the, uh, the big tarpon are in them with reckless abandon and they seem to eat very, very well. Once you get into mid October, they're there, they're still feeding, but they, there's something to them. They, they seem to be a little more cautious or I don't know what it is, but boy, those early couple of schools, um, first couple weeks of September, the tarpon are very active and especially the big ones. Yeah. They eat and they eat quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think a couple of things. Um, one, you know, they get, they get excited as the bait migration comes down just like we do. But two, um, if you notice a lot of times when the schools are really big, everything's moving much faster. And it's actually more of a migration going on than an actual feeding frenzy going on. Sure. I mean, everything that in that school is just trying to get south. And there's days where you just see miles of bait and miles of fish, but you're just not getting the strikes. It just doesn't feel right. It looks cool. But you're just not getting the action that you, that you think that you, know, you should get when you see that kind of stuff. And I think they get into a mode where it's time to travel and then they get into their modes where it's time to eat. But if the bait's not moving fast, um, it seems that they'll sit around and eat. You know what I mean? I, I agree. If, if you get that northeaster and it drives a pod down and then if the wind clocks out of the south and kind of holds them up, 
for maybe 36 hours or 48 hours. Right. Those fish eat well. I mean, they eat and they stay on them. It's uncanny. What? I tell you what I'm really hoping for this year. Of course, I want to see a lot more mullet than last year. That was a friggin' massive disappointment. But I'd like to see some big snooks um, come down with the mullet run. Because i got to tell you, it's been about four years now since I've even seen somebody catch a giant snook in the mullet run. I've seen some decent snooks, you know, 15-pounders or whatever. But that was always the time where... I would pull out one, a couple other guys would pull out one, but it would happen almost every week where somebody would get a 25, 30 pound, I mean, a real longer. I'll tell you yeah. what my theory is about that. What? I, I think they're there all the time. I think they're there throughout the mullet run. It's just uh, we're not fishing in close for them. I think they're closer in. I think if you spent the time fishing a bait close in, in the trough, I think they're in there. I mean – I'm always targeting the big tarpon, so I'm always firing a bait, you know, on the outside of the school. If you put your time in, in between the beach and the school, I think you'll get them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you can get them, but we never had to, like, stop and do something different to get them. It was uh, just, you know, one of us would get one. Bycatch, yeah. baby. Bycatch. Right. Bycatch. Just straight bycatch. And I'm just praying for that this year because... It's got to be, God, we'll be going on like five years now without somebody pulling out a 30-pounder out of the mullet run. And yeah. there's nothing prettier than one of those old, fat snooks in that ocean water. Their bellies are all beat up for being in the sand, and their fins are all yellow, and they're all white and everything. I yeah. mean, I can show you, I can show you, you know, multiple pictures of 30-pound fish that were pulling out of the dark water. But I want to see that mullet run snook. I'll tell you what, believe it or not, I've had clients get really fired up about catching those spinner sharks and black tips. Oh, they do love fish. that. They get a huge kick out of those things. And they're tackle busters. They are tackle busters. I, I don't know. When the clients get fired up, they bug the shit out of me. I can't. I hate burning through tackle on those damn things. <laughs> right? I just can't. I can't enjoy it. <laughs> Except that it's pretty phenomenal. We got the footage of that one shark that jumped like a damn marlin a couple years ago. It was so friggin' cool. <laughs> but that's about it. That's about it for me. That's about it for me. I've also noticed in the last couple of years that um, the marlin crowds have kind of leveled off a bit. You think so? I think so. I think the demand has only gone up with the advent of social media and videos and um, – You've got people scrutinizing every post and every video to see which beach you're at. And that's what's funny. That, that's, that's what's baffling for them is because they think that the bite's the same on the same beach every day. And it moves. It changes. Yeah. And, right? And you just got to be good at spotting it and finding it. I don't know. I get a little I – got, I, got, I, got, I, I, like, I like to see the big drone footage and stuff and the cool footage of the mullet run and stuff. But – it, it kind of bugs me that the guys that don't go to the beach and experience it themselves and put in the multiple days to see that, they see it online, and then they want to, like, act like they've experienced the mullet run or they know what it's about because it's not <laughs> the same. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that video is cool and everything, and it's fun to watch. But did they realize the amount of effort, the amount of time, the amount of energy that it takes to actually see that with your own two eyes? 
We'd have to ask them. They don't. I'm telling you right now. The vast majority of people don't, but they'll look at that footage. They'll look at that stuff and they'll act like they do. I don't know. That's what I mean. It's double-sided for me. Like I'm so, glad they get to see it, but I don't think they actually understand what they're seeing. So here's the burning question that yeah. has to be asked. Spinner or conventional? What's Captain Jeff's preference during the mullet run? Well, you know me. I go with the big spinner. That's just why? what I roll. That's just what I roll with. I don't know why to tell you the truth. I used to fish. I used to fish it with with conventionals, but I fish with the big spinner down there. Big spinner, fast action, seven foot rod. I get it. Where yeah, chunk of mullet, probably what. 150 feet with that thing. And when I mean 150 feet, I mean 150 feet when I'm shoulder high in the water. I know. Well, people don't realize that you're making casts when you're shoulder high in the water. So, you know, the conventional and spinner thing, you know, that's always going to be an argument going forward for the rest of our lives. But it is important for people to know that you are expected to cast while you're in the water. Well, wait a minute. No, not everybody's expected to cast, just the real guys, Jeff. <laughs> How many times have you been getting ready to cast and you look behind you and everyone's in the shallower part? How many people have been outside of you when you're getting ready to cast? Not many. Maybe the one guy in the orange hat. That might be it. Right, right. That's yeah. it. Well, you know, it's... um. Do you think people are going to be like, man, I see no Connor out there frigging... Shoulder deep, you think that friggin' will get them to to practice the procedure? No, because O'Connor's only five feet tall. So they just, <laughs> I just love staying as far away from the school as I can, as stealthy as I can, and putting as many baits on target as I can. How much are you using your trolling motor? About 98%. Are you? Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that. A great invention. There's no reason to use the big motor. I mean, you're... It's all about being stealthy. Right. It's, right. It's, I think it's I'm actually going to put a trolling motor on my skiff this year. That's what you keep threatening. I want to yeah. see it. How many years have I been saying this? Uh, I don't know, 40? <laughs> no, I'm going to do it finally. I'm going to do, I'm going to do it finally. We got all these spot lock stuff. And then if nothing else, even if it doesn't help me catch any more fish, it'll piss all the people off that you know hate on the old skiff anyway. I'll put like a $3,000 trolling motor on the front of that son of a bitch. And I'll be like, dude, the guy's trolling motor is worth more than this whole boat. And just let them laugh. <laughs> let them laugh. They're laughing with you, not at you. I don't know, man. After hanging out with you with the egret and then Musso with the Hell's Bay, Carl with the Hell's Bay. I don't know. I think I'm going to friggin' save my pennies this year. I think I'm going to get one of those Maverick HPXs. Oh, careful. Careful. I, I, don't I'm drink. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. No, I'm telling you, dude, I'm going, I'm more about fly now than I have been. That's great. Those are great boats. I think so. I should have, I, I should have, I should have sold you my master angler. Yeah. I, I, no, that was, that was different. I think I had a flats boat back then. I'm getting, I'm going to get specifically into more fly fishing. And I think the HPX is probably the one I'll be able to get. I don't know if I can step up to something fancy like a Uri Grid or Carl's Hell's Bay or nothing, but maybe I can find like, you know, a 10-year-old HPX or something. 
Well, what's great about that is you're going to be able to get skinnier too. You, 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 I mean, I can't get as skinny as you'll be able to get like Musso and some of those other guys. So that's going to open up a whole new world for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think the, um, the fly fishing thing, dude, I'm going, I'm going right through the next 12 months doing it. Plus you've All got the- Busaka, the bonefish king, man. I mean, you guys will be just crushing it down there. Dude. Busaka, let's just keep him on spin for another couple, three years. Let's let him master the spin. I don't want to confuse the kid or nothing. And then um, he's got friggin' uh, bad feet. I heard you had to have good feet if you want to be a fly fisherman. Well, that explains why I'm no good at it. <laughs> All right, oh, Timmy. Oh, oh, I thought you said you had to be five feet to be good at uh, um no, that's that's good. I'm Jeff. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to be out there for sure, and I want to see you on the beach doing a little more. I want to, you know, you're supposed to be in good shape. You know, you're a football player and running your, you know, ten yard outs and everything. Uh, I want to. I want to see you sprinting after that school that's cruising at a knot and a half. I, and, I and staying I still, ahead of it. I still do the sprinting, but the difference is, is I wait till after I catch my fish, and then I sprint home to get my cigar. Well, why don't you bring one with you? You know, if you, you know, if you do it right, then someone in the crowd will bring a cigar to you. I can tell you that from experience. <laughs> All know. right, Timmy. Well, I don't know. I hope in, in, in anticipation for this year's mullet run, I hope a few people listen to this podcast. I hope it gets them fired up about it. And um, from the bottom of my heart, good luck in this year's mullet run. I want uh, it to be a good one for you. Uh, you too, Jeff. I hope everyone does well. And uh, do me a favor. If you have a Xanax sponsor, I'm going to need a lot of Xanax come October 31st. So if anybody can send me a package, I'm going to be depressed. Well, I don't have a Xanax partner, but I'm uh, close. There's a company called One Plant that we're talking with. Really? Yeah. And I think it might be, you know, I don't know, Timmy. You're a little on the conservative side. But anyway, Thanks. look up One Plant and tell me what you think about that. Uh, we'll we'll do all about your better knowledge. All right, Tim O'Connor, three-time Happy Bait World Champion. We will be bringing you video and photos and um, some fishing excursions that him and I are going to go do during this year's mullet run. Thanks for being on the Real Guy Podcast, Timmy, and Run That Dog. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Run that dog. <laughs>